Welcome to Wealth and Understanding, Conversations with the Riverview Trust Company. In this series, we hope to demystify the financial and estate planning process. We'd like to help our clients and friends make informed decisions that they feel good about. In this edition, we're going to address the question of who should be in charge of your affairs when you're no longer able to be. Now, talking about this topic is about as much fun as getting root canal, but it's probably one of the most, if not the most important uh, subjects in the estate planning process. And it has to do, of course, with who handles your affairs when you're gone, but perhaps most importantly, it also should cover who is in charge of your affairs when you're alive, but you're unable to handle them. And there's a whole host of decisions that are involved in this process. First, who handles your assets, your property, your real estate, your investments? Second, who handles your health and your your person, where you live, if you're incapacitated, what kind of medical treatment you get? Third, who's in charge of your kids? Uh, who should be their guardian? And fourth, who should be in charge of the property that you leave to your kids, perhaps in a trust or something? And each one of these roles might be fulfilled by a different person. It would be hard to come up with one person who can handle all of the different aspects of your affairs. If you are married, then the most common answer to the question who's going to handle your affairs is going to be your spouse. But of course, uh, your spouse could be gone as well, and then you have to have a backup in that role. And speaking of roles, how many different roles are there? There are there are many. The first, there's the agent under a power of attorney, and that handles your property during life. Basically, you fill out uh, an inter- power of attorney document naming an agent, and that person can do with your property, everything that you could do yourself, but it only lasts during your lifetime. Second, there's guardians and conservators. And this could be someone who's uh, handling your personal affairs uh, in terms of your, where you're living and, and how you're being cared for, but can also handle your finances just the way someone, an agent under a power of attorney can do. The guardian and the conservator are both court appointed positions and they last only during the lifetime of the individual. They're also very expensive because they require annual court accountings and filings of documents and so forth. Next, you can have the personal representative of your estate, sometimes also known as the executor of your estate. This is the person who handles your affairs after your death. So obviously, by definition, it doesn't, uh, that role doesn't involve working for you during your lifetime. Finally, you could have the trustee of your revocable trust, and this person could act during your life when you're incapacitated or uh, could wrap up your affairs at your passing. Further, if you create irrevocable trusts for your heirs when you're gone, the trustee would handle their affairs whenever that trust was created. We talked a little bit about the difference between revocable trusts and irrevocable trusts in an earlier podcast. The one thing that all of these roles have in common, however, is that every one of these persons is a fiduciary. Uh, That that term's been bounced around a lot lately uh, in the context of investment advice. But a fiduciary is someone who has to put your interests ahead of everything else, including their own. 
and you have to be held to the highest standard of behavior. For example, say you have a a business held inside of a trust and you're a trustee. And so you run that business in your capacity as trustee, but maybe you run a similar business on your own behalf. If you have an opportunity that comes up that could be served either by the business that's held in trust or by your own business, you have to let the business that's held by the trust have the opportunity first. This doesn't happen very often, but it's a good example of what the fiduciary standard means. Parenthetically, it's it's hard to believe that investment advisors are fighting the imposition of a fiduciary standard on their behavior, like why wouldn't you put your client's interests first? But that's a topic for another day. So just as there are different fiduciary roles, uh, agents under a power of attorney or guardians or personal representatives, you may find that you have more than one person uh, acting in more than one of those capacities, and the roles may be filled by different people. I talked earlier about uh, the fact that usually with married couples, uh, the one spouse is in charge of the other spouse's affairs if uh, one of the spouses becomes incapacitated. But if you're single, you might have your kids named as your guardian if it's needed, but you might have somebody else handling the finances. You can divide the fiduciary uh, categories into two. First, there's those fiduciaries who are in charge of your person, like a guardian or someone who handles your health care decisions, for example. And then there's people who are fiduciaries over your assets. So a trustee, uh, perhaps a conservator. And you may choose one type of person to handle one type of job and another person to handle other jobs. So you may have one child who knows how you want to be cared for, knows what standards you want to be uh, held to for your care. Uh, but maybe that child's not uh, as sophisticated when it comes to handling money. On the other hand, maybe you have a child who is sophisticated on handling money, but is not living in the same town as you are and is unable to be as responsive. So you may have one child do one role and one child do another role. So as you're deciding uh, on who should be in charge of what aspects of your affairs, uh, there are a number of different factors to consider. Uh, first of all, couples, younger couples with minor children, uh, often the biggest source of disagreement in the estate planning process for them is deciding who's going to be their guardian of their, those kids. Is it someone on your side of the family, someone on my side of the family? Maybe I don't want anybody on either side of the family. And also, who's going to be the trustee of the assets for those minor children? Obviously, if uh, you know, you're know you married and in your 40s and you've got kids who are under the age of 10, you're certainly not going to leave uh, your retirement plans or your life insurance proceeds uh, or your home to those minor children outright. You're going to create a trust for their benefit. Who should be the trustee? Should it be the same person who's the guardian? Should it be somebody else? Those are difficult uh, questions to answer. Another area that can be challenging is who makes your health care decisions. And there, there are so many different ways to set forth your wishes for health care decisions. There's do not resuscitate orders or DNRs that have to be signed by a doctor. That's the thing that goes on your refrigerator that tells the paramedics whether you want additional life-saving treatment or not if they find you uh, near death. That usually doesn't involve a fiduciary. 
Then there's a living will. Living wills are not wills at all, but rather statements of the kind of care that you want. Those also don't involve fiduciaries. They are simply instructions to people about your general feelings towards care when you're not able to express those feelings yourself. Finally, you have healthcare powers of attorney and advanced directives, and those are documents that do allow you to appoint a person to make the decisions when you're not able to. And you may have a hard time deciding which person you want to choose, or you may want to have multiple people make those decisions, but if you if you do that, maybe those people will disagree. So it's clearly uh, an important issue and one that requires you to be able to express your thoughts in advance as you appoint somebody to handle those decisions. So maybe the best way to approach this uh, question of who handles your affairs or the affairs of your loved ones is to break it down first into two categories, who handles the assets versus who handles your person or the person of your children. Who's in charge of their care? Who do they live with? Who do you live with? Who decides what kind of a home or what kind of in-home care that you are going to have when you're incapacitated versus who manages the money? Now, it may very well be that it's the same person that does both, but it's important to break it into those two categories because they definitely have their own skill sets and strengths and weaknesses in the people doing it. For example, the person managing your finances needs to be able to assess the size of your wealth and the type of investment return that's needed to generate support for you during your entire lifetime, or has to have, be able to interpret the terms of a document uh, like a trust agreement that sets forth the management of assets for your children. What kind of financial support do they need? What kind of financial support do you not want them to have? You know, you maybe don't want to have let them have too much money. And if you choose to have one person in charge of your person and another in charge of your financial affairs, uh, it's also important to make sure that those two people get along. So someone who's overseeing your lifestyle, your medical care and so forth, needs to be able to get the funds to enact those wishes. And so you don't want to have one fiduciary fighting with another because they have different views of how you should be cared for. In general, make sure that the designation of a fiduciary over any aspect of your affairs or your loved one's affairs doesn't uh, create hard feelings. Uh, Sometimes if you appoint one child to be in charge of your affairs, that can stir up long simmering uh, disagreements among the kids about who is whose favorite, and so forth. Uh, and those kinds of resentments can really uh, erupt uh, when hard decisions have to be made. Also, consider physical proximity. Uh, the job of caring for someone and overseeing their care does definitely require that they be, at least if not nearby, at least have uh, an associate who's nearby. Uh, And this is a place, of course, where a professional trustee might be appropriate or a professional fiduciary uh, like a trust company or a private fiduciary who works uh, on their own. But no matter who you choose to be your fiduciary, make sure you go at the decision thoughtfully. Choose the right person for the right role, even if that means choosing more than one person for different roles. Also, make sure that you've communicated your decisions 
to the people who love you so that there's no misunderstanding or resentments later on. This can be a, a very challenging time when someone has to take over your affairs and you don't want it to make, to make it more challenging by creating confusion or misunderstandings. This podcast was written and produced by Riverview Trust Company, which is solely responsible for its content. Although we've discussed generally some legal concepts, Riverview Trust Company does not provide legal advice. You should consult with your own attorney to decide whether the general ideas that we've presented in this podcast are right for you. Post-production work was done, and our theme music was created by James Klein. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.